I do want to let you all know how deeply appreciative I am to be able to be called your pastor for any length of time, but particularly for 25 years. That's been such a great blessing to me. I want to say thank you to Patty and the boys and my daughter-in-laws and my grandkids for sticking with us through all of this and being a part of these, this season of our lives. I just appreciate you so very much. You've been a, a blessing. It's been a joy to be here. Sometimes I get questions from colleagues and others, and they'll ask, well, how have you managed to stay in the same place for 25 years? And, and my, my first response is, well, I really haven't. This place is not the same as it was. We've changed, and that's been good. We've grown, we've matured together, we've developed together. And I'm not the same as I was 25 years ago as a 33-year-old just kind of showed up on campus with virtually no answers. I didn't even know all the questions back in the day, much less the answers. And so we have kind of grown together. It's been, it's been great, and it's been the way I think it should be. We've been family, and we've gotten through thick and thin. And we're in a thin right now, you might say. Uh, the, this whole coronavirus and this worldwide pandemic, it's brand new to me as a leader and to you as a Christian. And uh, every day we're dealing with questions that we haven't had to deal with before. And I want you to know that I'm glad to be in this with you, with the children of God, with my family of faith. It's good to know that we can depend on each other and we can lean on each other during this time. Now, I started a series last week called Restore. We've been at this now for some four or five months, maybe even more. And I had the, I had the sense in my spirit that we were beginning to grow weary in our well-doing we be, I saw a weariness, not just in the faces of people in the world, but also in, in our faces, in your faces. We got caught up in kind of the length of this crisis. We were being influenced by the reports, by the attitudes of the world. And as I shared last week, it, it was affecting me as well as a leader and as a pastor. And I realized that I needed revival in my own spirit. And I began to pray that God would give me a new vision and a greater vision for what can we do now during the midst of this, culture, of this crisis. You see, before it was as though we were kind of dug in and trying to wait it out. We were just going to just hold on and wait until the crisis is over and then we'll get back to our vision. We'll get back to our mission. But God has shown me that, that, that we need to be on mission now. That the church of Jesus Christ needs to rise up and we need to be the forerunners of walking out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That it is our task and our responsibility and yes, even our privilege to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ right now. To be salt and light in this world right now. 
It is not as though our vision or our mission has been put on hold, but rather we have been handed a new mission and a new vision by our God. It says to us, rise up and reveal the glory of our God right now in the midst of this darkness. And so this morning, I want to spend a few moments talking to you about a hope that is restored. Hope restored. I think it's time we understood that God has done something for us as his children. He has given to us something as his children that the rest of the world not only does not experience, but does not fully understand. And that is, he has allowed us the privilege of sharing in his hope of glory. As the children of God, we have an advantage. You see, I want to say a word or two to those of you who may listen to this message and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me hold your attention for just a moment. Because you see, one of the things that I hear from those who I share faith with, who are not believers and who are caught up in the things of the world, is the question, why? Why should I become a believer? What's in it for me? I'm going to tell you this morning, if you'll listen carefully to this message, you'll hear what's in it for you. Because we do have something that you do not have. I believe that. I believe there is a distinct advantage to being a child of God in the here and now. And that is we are made privy to the glory of our God. And we have the opportunity to live in that hope from now and forevermore. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we live our lives today. You see, when I talk about the hope of glory, let me make something very clear, church. So I'm talking about the hope of glory and hope being restored today. I'm not talking about a hope that just looks forward to the sweet by and by. Oh, didn't you love that song? Jason just sang, I was all about that one day. One day, we're going to see heaven. And, and when we all get to heaven... What a joy that will be when we see his face. I'm so excited about that and I'm looking forward to that. And we do have that particular and specific hope of glory. No question about it. And I am looking forward to that day. However, this morning I'm not talking to you, uh, to you about a hope that only points toward that day, one of these days, out there in the future. Because I believe that the hope of glory, the hope of God's glory, the fullness of God's glory is available to you and I as his children today, right now. You see, so I'm going to define this, this hope that I'm talking about this morning, not as something that we look forward to one of these days, but rather as a constant awareness of the presence and power of Almighty God in our lives today. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss this. When I talk about hope being restored, this morning I'm referring to an awareness, a constant awareness of the presence and power of Almighty God in our lives today. You see, because I believe we've gotten our focus away from that presence. 
we've lost that awareness. We haven't lost the presence of God. We haven't lost the power of God. He is still on his throne. He is still king of kings and lord of lords. We know that. We understand that. But, but what happens in the midst of crisis, particularly when that crisis drags on and on and on and on, we tend to lose sight of the glory of God that is all around us. And we need a fresh awareness. I think that's what revival is. Revival is a renewal of our awareness of who God is and who we are as his children. And we need to understand again the greatness, the glory, the majesty of our God. I want to call you to that everyday constant awareness to the presence and power of Almighty God in your life as his child. You see, what I'm aware of this morning is that there is a difference between hopeful and hopeless that can be measured. You might ask, well, what makes the difference, Pastor, between hopeful as a child of God and hopeless? Well, let me tell you, I, in most cases, in most cases, that difference is measured by our perspective at the time. The difference between hopeful and hopeless is basically a difference of perspective. Let me give you an example. Let's say you and I are on a ship in the ocean. So just imagine with me that we're on a ship in the ocean and your place on that ship, your position on that ship is the back and my position is near the front. Because of your position on that ship, you're, you're able to see what we've left behind. You're able to see what's behind us very clearly. And because of my position, I'm able to see what lies ahead. Now, let's, let's factor in the hurricane. And the hurricane has come upon us. And it's a bad one. Hurricane force winds, high waves, rain, thunder, lightning... It's horrific. It's frightening. And we're in probably the worst place you can possibly be during a hurricane that's somewhere out in the ocean while the storm is literally upon the top of us. Now, from your perspective, perspective you're only seeing what is bad. You're looking out over a dark, rough, frightening ocean you're seeing the clouds you're seeing the wind you're seeing the storm and that's what you see moment after moment day after day you're inundated with that perspective that's your perspective and you're looking at what is bad it would it, it won't be long before you begin to feel overwhelmed by the fear and dread of the storm that is impending that is coming down upon you you won't be able to help it your response, your, your physical and emotional response will be that fight or flight kind of mentality where you hunker down and hold on because you know it's bad and you don't see any way out because the storm is so great. However, from my perspective, I'm on the front of the boat and I can clearly see the lighthouse in the distance. I can clearly see and know that harbor is on its way. That we're not that far away from safe harbor. And I know and trust the captain. And, and I, can, I can see and perceive the fact that the captain is leading us directly toward that lighthouse. And the lighthouse is within the safe confines of the harbor. Now you and I are still in the same storm, aren't we? The wind is just as strong. The waves are just as ominous. 
and the thunder and the lightning is still there. But our perspective is different. You're seeing only what is wrong, and I have the privilege of seeing what is right. And so I have a hope that you don't have. I believe that the difference between feeling hopeful and feeling hopeless, especially for the Christian, is a matter of perspective. And I think that we have lost perspective of of what we should be seeing. We should be focused on that lighthouse today. We should be focused on that safe harbor. But we've gotten our eyes off of that and we've been inundated with the bad news. And we spend day after day, hour after hour, listening to the bad news, watching the storm. And our hearts are overwhelmed. We become fearful. And dreadful and hopeless. See, as I'm beginning this conversation with you this morning about having hope restored, I'm really entering into a philosophical discussion that I need to have for just a couple of moments. Because what I'm really talking about is your view of the world. I'm talking about the lenses through which you see the world around you. Philosophers call that our worldview. I want to talk about your worldview for just a second. How do you see the world around you? It's clear that all of us have a way in which we see and interpret the world. Every person has a worldview. And we learn that our worldviews are shaped by many things. Let me give you some examples. Your worldview is shaped by your family of origin and your upbringing. A lot of the ways that you see the world today are ways that were taught to you as a young child. You interpret things the way things were interpreted for you as a child growing up. Another one would be your culture. We find that throughout the world, there are many different lenses through which people view reality, and it's based on the culture and the cultural norms and values in which they live. Culture has a great influence. Your personality influences the way you see the world around you. Some of you are going to naturally, because of the way you're wired, you're going to naturally see the glass half empty, while others are going to see the glass half empty. That's a personality difference, and and that has some influence on how you see the world around you. Your experience also will shape your worldview and influence that worldview. Some of you have been through some very difficult and trying times, and as you've come through those difficult experiences, you come through and say, you know what, I see things differently now because your lenses have changed because of that or those experiences. So there's a lot of things that influence our world view. Watch this. Until, until we are changed by the power of God and the blood of Jesus. Until we are saved. Watch me now. This is, this is where we find the hope of glory, church. This is where we learn to live in it every day. Because you see, according to Scripture, when when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
the Holy Spirit of God comes into us and begins immediately to begin interpreting the world around us, not from a worldly perspective, but from a godly perspective. You see, Paul said this. Paul said, when I became a believer, when I, when I became a Christian, old things were passed away, and behold, all things became new. That includes the way we see the world. Now, I understand this is not an event that happens all at once, but rather it is a process of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But as we grow and mature in Christ, we should be putting away those old ways of seeing and interpreting things. And the new way that we see things, defined by the Scripture and the Holy Spirit interpreting that Scripture for us, so that as we are more and more in line with Jesus Christ, as our minds are being more and more transformed into his likeness, then our lenses will literally change. And we will begin to see the world through the lenses of Scripture. When you and I, as the children of God, understand what that means, and we understand what it means to see the world through the lenses of Scripture, we will experience afresh and anew that hope of glory that's not just for tomorrow, but it's also for today. One of the great um, struggles, I think, that, that I see in the Christian church today, and I'm certainly seeing it in, uh, in the midst of this crisis that we're living in and the darkness that we face is that so many people want to use their Christian faith as a piece of their worldview or something that informs or edits their worldview. And I'm getting that a lot. People bring all of that other stuff I was talking about, their family of origin, their culture, their personality, their experiences, and that's still a vital way, an important way in which they see the world around them, but they're trying to add some scripture to it. And I find that to be, be happening in the church. So people will say, well, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say this? And I'll say yes, and then they'll say, well, I've always learned something different. And I see a, a dissonance there. And so when we look at what's happening in the world around us, we're fighting between opinions within our own minds, in our own hearts. Because we want to hold on to those old lenses and somehow have our faith inform or edit a little bit the new way, that the other ways that we see things. And that's not according to Scripture. Paul said those old things were passed away. We've got to take those lenses off. And we've got to put on the lenses of Scripture and the lenses of the Holy Spirit of God. And we've got to listen to His interpretation of the world. And we learn to see the world from His perspective. And that's when we find the hope of glory. It is by adopting this thing we, we call the biblical worldview. Now, uh, let me, let me gonna do a sidebar here for just a second. Speak directly to the Christians who are listening to me. As Christians, you need to understand that a biblical worldview, a purely biblical worldview, will create a greater separation between you and those who do not hold a biblical worldview. You need to understand that. Have you noticed already how difficult it is to have a conversation as a believer with a non-believer about some of these difficult issues when they're not willing to accept what you know to be true according to the Word of God? 
it's a difficult conversation. And typically, we want to start with that. We want to say, well, you know, the Bible teaches that. Well, I don't believe the Bible. What is that to me? And now you automatically find some distancing there. And what I'm learning as I try to reach a lost and a broken world is that one of the things that, that, that the, those out there who are groping in darkness, who are living in lostness, one of the things that they cannot do is they cannot see the world through Scripture. They don't have those lenses. And so it doesn't do me any good to try to convince them that I'm right according to Scripture. They won't get those lenses until they receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so what I've learned to do is when I'm having a conversation with other believers, well, most certainly we're going to talk about Scripture. Most certainly we're going to talk about thus saith the word of God because that is our joint point of reference. But when I'm talking to a non-believer about these issues, I want to be very careful and very cautious and I've learned to say, look, I understand that you cannot and do not see it the way I do. However, I want to share with you the one who can open your eyes and your heart so that you can experience this same hope of glory that I have. And you go back to the gospel message. Because that's the message we should be sharing with our lost loved ones. Not what is right and what is wrong according to scripture because folks, they're not going to see it. And that's according to the word. The Bible says that this book is foolishness to those who don't believe. We have to understand that and accept that. Our task is to share the gospel so that they can have their eyes opened to the hope of glory that comes through Jesus Christ. So now, we have that understanding that we're talking today about a hope that doesn't just see the, the sweet by and by, but a hope that, that has a constant awareness of the presence and power of Almighty God in our lives. He wants us to have that. He wants you to have that. He wants that kind of hope to be restored so that today and tomorrow and the next day, no matter what happens in the news, no matter what's happening in the world, you can live in the hope of God's glory day in and day out. That's what he wants you to have. And I want you to look in Romans chapter 8 as we seek to find a scriptural understanding. What does the Bible say about this hope? Let's just, let's just go to the Word. And our question is, God, how can I have hope during this time? How can we get through this spiritually and emotionally? How can I see what is good in a sea that seems to be inundated with all bad? God, I want to have that kind of hope. Well, listen to what the Bible says. Let's go back to the Word of God. And I want us to begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And here's what he says. What then are we to say about these things? Look this way for just a second. <laughs> Can we just imagine this morning that God is speaking directly to us through His Word? You know, I believe He does that. I believe that's the reason He gave us His Word was to speak directly to us through it. And we can, we can spend a lot of time trying to break down what these things were in the first century that he was talking about. And i got to tell you, it's a lot of bad things. It's a lot of difficult things. The latter part of the first century was not the best time to be a Christian in our world. There was a lot of persecution. There were a lot of enemies of the faith. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans while in Rome under house arrest. And he never left Rome. He was beheaded there. 
But when God speaks to us this morning and he speaks to us about what are we to say about these things, can we agree that for us this morning, these things include the world in which we live today? And we know what these things are. So much brokenness, so much sickness, so much darkness. What can we say as your children, O oh God, about these things? Listen to his next most powerful statement. If God is for us, who is against us? How about that? What can we say about these things? Can we start there? For here we see the certainty of this hope. The certainty of this hope. You see, folks, how, you might say, Eric, how can you have hope in a time like this? And my answer is simply because I have a God in a time like this. I have an almighty God in a time like this. I have a heavenly Father in a time like this. I have the kingdom of God in a time like this. If God is for us, who is going to stand against us out there? It is an awareness of the power and the presence of God in my life. And you start there to find a restoration of that hope. You see, the certainty of our hope is based on the certainty of our God. The certainty of our hope is based on the certainty of our God. If you believe that God is the Almighty, and then you believe that you are His child, His chosen one, His son or His daughter, you need to understand something. Believing that God is who He is and He allows you to be His child that belief alone produces hope, the hope of glory. Because what is going to happen to you that is outside the realm of possibilities of your loving, caring, almighty Father? Here we go back to the Old Testament. We see what the prophets had to write about the greatness of our God. Just prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, listen to what he says. In Isaiah 40, verse 28 and following. Do you not know, he asked? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. I will ask you, church, have you not heard? Do you not know? Let me just give you a little simple practical advice. In the morning when you get up and Satan is attacking you with anxiety yet again. Look him straight in his ugly face and ask this question. Satan, have you not heard? Do you not know that the Lord Almighty is the everlasting God? The creator of this whole earth. We need to understand that. That's the, the, that is the, the source. That is the, the understanding and the certainty of our hope. He goes on. He says, he never grows faint or weary. And there is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may grow faint and grow weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and shall not faint. You read on down in chapter 41. Look at verse 10. Do not fear. This is the Lord speaking now. For I am with you. Can you hear that, church? Can you hear that? Talking about hope that's restored. Hear your God speak to you today. 
for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. See, the Bible teaches that the certainty of our hope is found in the certainty of our God. And if God is for us, who is it out there who can stand against us? And that's one of those drop the mic kind of statements and let it, let it go, let it resonate. We need never forget that, church. Because not only does he talk about this, the certainty of our hope, but he goes on and he talks about the champion of our hope. You see, the next question is going to be, well, pastor, how do we know? How do we know that our God is faithful? How do we know that he's going to get us through? Well, then we look at the example of our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, who walked through much more perilous times than this, even into the grave, and then walked down after three days and became forever and ever the champion of this hope. Look at verse 34 and following. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. You get this? He's talking about why we can believe in the glory. He's talking about the one who set the example for us. He also is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? Tell me, what's he doing? He's interceding. He's interceding for who? Get it, church. Get this. Satan is tempting. Satan is, is causing all kinds of doubt. Satan is deceiving. But Jesus Christ is the champion of our faith. And I want you to understand, he went into the grave and he came out. And he's not just been hanging around since then. He has been at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for you and for me. We can find hope in that. We can understand that he is the champion of this hope. We celebrate him, and it is by that personal relationship with him that we find this, this place of being able to see the world differently. Our lenses change. Now we see the world through the lenses of Scripture, and Scripture reminds us that our God is certain, and he has proven it through his Son, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want even more uh, evidence this morning, look over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, He, that's Jesus, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. We know that. Then let's look at this next verse. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave to Him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Of those in, who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Uh, we read that in Philippians chapter 2. That's why in chapter 4. He can make this pretty brash statement. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He is the champion 
of this hope. How can you have hope in such a perilous time, Pastor Eric? Because of the certainty of that hope, because of the champion of this hope. It's because of that personal relationship with Christ. I want to finish like this. Because on down in this beautiful, powerful passage, we also see the consequence of this hope. I said a few moments ago, I was going to say to unbelievers, what's in it for us? What would be in it for you? To trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How is that going to matter in your life today? Listen carefully. There's a consequence to this hope. Look in verse 37 and following. In all these things, we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. You, you remember the these things we talked about just a moment ago? In, in, and in the first century, he was talking about the things that were happening in and around Rome for the Christian church. Difficult things, but we read this today from our own understanding and perspective of what's going on in the world around us and we see a lot of things but he says in all of these things we are more than victorious not just victorious more than victorious you see that bold confidence you see that bold confidence you see i said earlier that it is, it is my vision now to be a part of what the church is doing in this particular time and in this particular moment to lead others from darkness to light and we need to lead with boldness with an understanding that we through jesus christ are more than victorious but then he goes on for i am persuaded it says verse 38 persuaded Calm assurance. You're not going to change his mind. And let me just say to you, church, you're not going to change mine either. No circumstance or situation can change my mind because I, too, am persuaded. That calm assurance. I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers... Things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the consequence of this hope. That we get up every day, every day, with a bold confidence and a calm assurance. Persuaded that no matter what happens, Nothing can separate us from the love of our God. Put those lenses on, church. See the world through the truth of God's word. Understand these things, as horrific as they may seem, are things that our God has already conquered and is leading us through. And there we will find that hope restored. Let's stand together, please. Jace is going to come and lead us in a time of invitation and response. What has been your perspective, church? What has taken your focus? How have you been interpreting the world around you? Let me call you back 
to the Word of God. Let me call you back to the certainty of this hope. I challenge you not to be satisfied until you see the world as God would have you see it. and You understand situations and circumstances the way God would have you to understand it. I understand it's not going to be a process, it's going to be an event, but it starts today. That process starts today as you give your your life anew and fresh to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, I want you to turn my eyes off of this world and turn them back to you. And I'm going to seek to follow hard after you every day that my hope might be restored.